0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: In the previous program, I introduced the subject of spiritual warfare. This is the second program in this series of programs that I'm doing. And in the previous program, I introduced the subject of binding and loosing which I would like to spend a little bit more time on in this program from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. But I also spent a lot of time talking about the uncertainties that we have when it comes to engaging with a spiritual being in reference to a demon. When we don't have enough details or we don't have that much of an understanding, or at least as much as we would like, Uh, when it comes to this subject, how do we really know What we are to do or what we are not to do. How do we know how to engage with a demon like this? How do we know when not to? There is a lot of uncertainty. And so what I was explaining in the previous program is that these subjects relevant to spiritual warfare certainly are important. I can understand that. But it's so easy. It's very easy to be distracted by these subjects, by all of these uncertain issues, to the extent where you will lose track of, and you will lose your focus on those things that are important. And I mentioned the love of God, for example, that you might be very knowledgeable about various case studies when it comes to people engaging with demons, but you do not know the love of God yourself, or you do not believe that the Lord really loves you in the way that he does, or in the way that he would like you to understand at this time, and that this can be much more significant. And so I wanted to emphasize in the previous program the importance of staying focused on those things that you are certain about, that you can have some degree of certainty with, because these things will help you navigate through these uncertain situations or these uncertain circumstances that you may not ever obtain any certainty from, but at least you can get through them. At least you can navigate your way through them. I'm going to give you an example of a real life circumstance that I experienced to help you get a picture of this, to help you understand the magnitude of what I'm explaining to you. There was a time when the Lord told me to go and speak with a certain person. He just put it on my heart. He said it in a way that I understood and knew that it was definitely from him. He told me, go talk to this individual. So I went and I found this individual and I sat down with him, and I talked with him. It was a very interesting conversation. The person was a satanic priest, and this was a long time ago, but it's something that I really remember. I remember it a lot because it was quite significant for me. He was a satanic priest, and so I didn't know what to say to him. I didn't know what the Lord wanted me to talk with him about. I go over to him, and I just simply say, very honestly, I told him, excuse me, but my God told me to come over here and talk with you. But he didn't tell me what it was about. And so I thought maybe you'd know. So that's what I said to him. And he looked at me and he said, well, it just so happens there are a few things. And so we began having a conversation, a very in-depth conversation. And as this conversation progressed, now I already had some general knowledge of this individual. But I recognized as this conversation progressed, that he was speaking to me about things that I really didn't think he knew about. And I mean that in the sense that I have no idea how or where or in what way he would have been able to know these things. He was talking with me about some intricacies of certain verses uh, with relevance to the grammatical structure of certain words. I knew about these things, but I knew enough about this guy that there simply was no way he would have known, or that he should have known, or he could have known about these things. So I was very concerned about this. And so in my heart, I asked the Lord, what's going on? And I believe he conveyed to me the thought or the possibility that I wasn't talking with that person anymore. I was probably talking with a demon. And so with great conviction, I boldly confronted the person who I was speaking to at that time, and I didn't know who this person was anymore, I confronted them and I said, now just a minute, who are you? And he puckered up his lips as if he wasn't going to say anything. I said, all right, I understand. In the name of the living God, I demand that you tell me who you are right now. Identify yourself. Now, I don't know If he was intimidated by me, as I mentioned in the previous program, I could simply have intimidated him into opening his mouth and telling me who he really was. Or maybe there was an angel nearby who poked him with a sword or something related to that in some way. I don't know exactly why he responded, but he did. And he gave me his name and his position in the satanic army in the realm of demons. It was a demon. He told me who he was and what his responsibilities were by giving me his title and his rank and his position of authority. Now, he told me this in a way that I believe he thought I would be intimidated by him telling me this, that this is who he was. But I wasn't intimidated by this. And by the way, I didn't pause to have some kind of theological discussion with anybody else around me there wasn't anybody else around me who I could have this discussion with and I didn't say now just wait a minute let me go check my christian encyclopedias or get on the internet or get on the phone and or talk to some pastors I didn't do any of that I just simply looked right at him and I said well it's very nice to meet you but I was speaking with this other person and I referred to his name so get out of the way and let us finish our conversation Well, at that time, the person returned, or the demon allowed the person to regain control over his consciousness in some way, and we proceeded with our conversation where we left off at some point, and I allowed him to help me navigate and understand where that point was without telling him that I was talking to somebody else for a minute in order to try to make this a smooth transition so that I could stay focused. Now, was I concerned about the fact that I encountered a real demon? No, that was not my priority. Was I concerned about whether I should attempt to cast the demon out of him or not? No, it just simply wasn't my priority. Now, if the Lord spoke to me and told me to respond in that way, I certainly would have done so. But this was uncertainty. I had complete uncertainty. I had never experienced anything like this before. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea who I'm talking to. I don't even know what I'm going to say anymore. I mean, this was a very confusing, disruptive, it was a, a, a very unsettling situation. And I would not want to encourage you to go and seek out situations like this, but this is where I was. So I stayed focused on what I knew and what I was sent there for. you understand? Stay focused on what you know, what the Lord has revealed to you, and stay focused on what he sends you for. So I stayed focused on that, and I presented the gospel in the best way that I could to the individual who I had access to at that time. Our conversation ended. We had a similar conversation like that a few weeks or a few months later, I can't quite recall, and then another time after that, and eventually this person decided to reject the demons that he had invited to be in his life, and he decided to accept the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, and I had the privilege of praying with him to help him get through that, which was a very traumatic experience to say the least. There's a lot I can say about that, but that's not what's important, because we've got to stay focused on the subject at hand. And that is the nature of the war, and that there are uncertainties, but that in the midst of the uncertainties, as long as we stay focused on the certainties, we will be participants in the war in a successful way with the Lord Jesus. And that, to me, is the priority. So let's go back to the previous program where I introduced this subject with regards to binding and loosing. Did I bind this demon? I don't think so. I said nothing about binding. I didn't say, I bind you, and I referred to his name, not like the Kabbalists taught me to do. I didn't do that. I did not use the standard methodologies that I had learned from the Jewish exorcists who I had studied under. Let's go back to the subject of binding and loosing. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, I really don't think that Jesus was intending to give us any words or ideas that would assist us in these kinds of experiences. I just don't. I believe that we should stay focused on what we do know about the subject of binding and loosing, to stay focused on that. And, you know, if the Lord would have told me declare that you bind so-and-so, I would have done it, all right? I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just wanting to show you that it is more important to stay focused on the certain things, not on the uncertain things, and allow those uncertain things to be issues or concerns that the Lord will speak to us about individually and the unique circumstances that we find ourselves in And to just simply wait for those times and not be so concerned about having an answer to everything in an absolute sense right now. When it comes to the subject of binding and loosing, these terms meant something in that time, in that culture, in the Pharisaical culture, in the Pharisaical doctrines, binding and loosing was very important. There were two aspects to binding and loosing in Pharisaical Judaism the Judaism that Peter and Jesus would have been living in the midst of at this time in history. At this time in history, they believed that you could address this subject of binding and loosing from a judicial point of view or a legislative point of view. And what I mean by that is that from a judicial point of view, the Pharisees believed that they had the power to bind or loose individuals according to the law And people would give them this power that they had the ability to execute judicial acts. As an execution of a judicial act, they would have to make a declaration as to whether or not a person would be bound or whether they would be loosed. They would be bound by a fine or perhaps imprisonment in some way or they would be loosed from such punishments or such judgments. And so from a judicial point of view, the terms binding and loosing were often used in a judicial context when it came to resolving conflicts that the Pharisees would help people resolve. It was also used legislatively, legislatively in the sense that there were times when you would seek for the assistance or the help or the guidance of a Pharisee. And he could legislatively bind you in some way or loose you in some way, set you free in some way. Now, this was normally done simultaneously. It was done in pairs. For example, in the event that you would go to a Pharisee and you would present a circumstance that you were dealing with, he might forbid you from eating meat at that time. And he would also permit you, he would loose you to be able to drink the broth from boiled meat, or where meat was boiled in. If, if you boiled meat, you'd have a broth. You can't eat the meat, but you can drink the broth. This could be in a circumstance where a person has drunk a lot of milk, and they want to know, well, now that I have drunk some milk, if I want to avoid violating the law where the Lord said, do not bathe a calf in its mother's milk, or boil a calf in its mother's milk, the the idea behind that was that you were not to engage in a practice that was customary of the Canaanites in their religious practices. I talk about this in the dietary laws. I'm just referring to this because it's a simple example, that you were not permitted to eat meat and drink milk or eat milk products in the same meal or within a certain period of time with one another because of the risk that you might violate the law of do not boil a calf in its mother's milk, which would correspond to a Canaanite religious practice. And so what they would do is they would say, well, now that you have eaten cheese or you have consumed milk or some product derived from milk, because of that, you are now bound. You are now bound from eating any meat, but you are permitted to drink the broth from a piece of meat being boiled, binding and loosing. One of the ways that they perceived this was they looked at the Proverbs, and they tried to be wise as the Proverbs would give people wisdom, and so they tried to create their own Proverbs in this way, that they would use these things in parallel simultaneously. If you go through certain sections in the Proverbs, you'll find that that is the way that some of the Proverbs have been written, where they are written in a way where you will say one thing, and then you'll say something opposite to that simultaneously, In contrast with one another, things were presented in pairs. So also when it came to judicial or legislative acts, they were often presented in pairs in order to give the appearance that they were similar to the Proverbs that were given from the great wisdom of Solomon. That would be the way that this phrase would have been understood or recognized by Peter when he heard it. When he heard Jesus say, binding and loosing... That would be the first thing that I believe he would be considering, is, well, the Pharisees assert this kind of authority over people. They assert this kind of authority. They believe that they have the ultimate authority. In fact, it was taught that because the Lord gave the Torah, he gave the law to the people, he gave us the Torah, that we have the ability to do what we want with it, and we also have the ability to expand it, if we choose, to the extent where it was said that if the rabbi says that right is left and left is right, can you hear the pair that's inherently in there? That is that is a pair. If he says both, that right is left and left is right, then you are to believe him and you are to live your life as if that is true. So this was the kind of authority that they had, and this was the way that they exercised it, and this was the phrase that Peter would have understood when Jesus used these words. So when Jesus said that he would give him this kind of power, the power of binding and loosing, it was a way of conveying to Peter that Peter was no longer under the authority of the Pharisees. He was no longer under the authority of the religious leadership in the land. The people there in the land, especially the religious leadership, did not recognize Jesus for who he was. But Peter recognized him for who he really was, who he is. And because of that, the Lord Jesus gave him authority that would set him free from the binding and loosing powers of those who he was subjected under his entire life. That would be the first thing that I believe would come to mind, or at least that's the first thing that came to my mind when I first read this, was that there has been a dramatic paradigm shift in the way that we are going to live, in the way that we are going to perceive the relationship that we have with our God and with our Messiah, when he said it in this way. Now, he also talks about the keys. I'm going to read this in Matthew chapter 16 beginning in verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock. And I don't believe he was referring to Peter. He was referring to the truth on this truth that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of the living God, he will build his church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The gates of Hades, the demons, they will not prevail against him. They will not prevail against his church. Why? What will give Jesus and what will give Peter the ability to withstand the battle and the onslaught and the conflict that they will encounter when it comes from the gates of Hades, when it comes from these demons. How will you prevail? He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, you could say that he's going to bind the soldiers in this army that comes from the gates of Hades. You could say that, that he's going to bind them, but I don't believe he's going to do it through his declaration, I bind you, demon. I don't believe that that's what he's saying. I believe that what he is saying is that he's going to give Peter some keys that are going to open some doors. And when these doors are opened, then there will be a binding, there will be a loosing, and this will be, Something that will establish the church, that will establish the fact that no one can overcome, that the demons will not overcome, and they will not prevail. Well, what do you want to keep them from overcoming, or what do you want to keep them from prevailing? Stay focused on that which we know to be the most important thing that would without question be the gospel, that people need to be saved. Without question, people need to be saved. If a person is saved, they are not going to be lost. Again, if a person is saved, they are not going to be lost. And if Jesus is going to build his church, then how is he going to build his church. He builds his church with living people when they get saved. That's when you become a part of his church. That's when you become a stone, a living stone that gets placed on the foundation of the Lord Jesus being the headstone, the rock, on that rock He is going to build his church, which will be built with the living stones of the believers who believe the gospel, who are resurrected from the dead, and who are transformed into children of God. And once that has occurred, there is no way that the gates of Hades will be able to prevail against an individual. You don't need to preoccupy yourself with, are you going to bind a demon before he gets to someone? Or are you going to bind a demon in order to get him out of someone? What about resurrecting that person? Do not lose sight of that. I'm not saying that there is no place for binding and loosing of demons. I'm just saying that regardless of whether there is or there is not, or whether it is going to occur in one circumstance and not occur in another circumstance, regardless of that, Do not lose your focus on that which is the most important being the gospel, that it is the truth of the gospel that is the key that opens the door, opens the door to what? To some place else, to something else, to a new life. The new covenant, for example, to enter into the new covenant, if you are going to enter into a new place, you must get through the door that needs to be unlocked and opened so that you can enter into the new place. And in this case, I believe he's referring to opening the door so that you can enter into him. You can enter into the Messiah, you can enter into his church, you can enter into the new covenant, you can be in Christ, in the sense that you are a resurrected individual according to the gospel. There is a door that has to be unlocked. And he gave Peter the keys to unlock the doors. What were those keys? The truth, the truth related to the gospel. And this is important because I'm going to come back to this later. It is the truth that sets someone free. It is a lie that puts someone in bondage. The Lord said this very clearly, that he came in order to give us the truth, because if we will believe in the truth, it is the truth that will set us free. It is the truth that will make us free. Now, listen, the truth that Peter gave was first given in Acts chapter 2, and then it was given again in Acts chapter 10. First he unlocked the door for the Jews in Acts chapter 2, and then he unlocked the door for the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. That's my conviction, that's my belief, that it was fulfilled at that time. At that time, Peter fulfilled his role, fulfilled the declaration of the Lord the doors were opened and people entered into the kingdom of God. They entered into his kingdom. They became children of God and became new creations and became part of the church. And the Lord Jesus has been building his church and his kingdom ever since. After Peter fulfilled that, other people could go And unlocked doors, unlocked doors so that people could enter into the kingdom of heaven as well through the revelation of the truth. And so I don't believe that Peter had some exclusive rights to the keys. Jesus gave him the keys. He used the keys, opened the door. But by using the keys, everyone else had exposure to that, could see that, understood that, and used the keys also in order to open doors for people so that they also might believe and be saved. That's what Jesus was saying directly there. If there is something indirect that we can extrapolate from the things that he said, so be it. Allow the Lord to speak to your heart concerning those things. But do not pursue those things and believe those things at the expense. Do not pursue those things and interpret these passages at the expense of ignoring what I believe would have been obvious, would have been clear at the time that Jesus was speaking to Peter. And so I really wanted to spend some time talking about that. In the next program, I'm going to speak about the gospel. You must understand the gospel. Just as I told you earlier in this program about the satanic priest who I spoke with, I stayed focused on the gospel, and eventually he embraced the gospel. If you do not know the gospel... It won't matter a whole lot. You won't have as much of an impact. I should perhaps say it that way. You will not likely have as much of an impact if you do not communicate the gospel effectively to an individual. You may still have an impact. Don't, don't feel as though you are completely incapable of engaging with someone in this way, of this nature, To engage in a conflict like that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying this to say, stay focused on the certain things, and you can navigate through the uncertain things just fine. But we have to consider what the gospel is, because for many people, the gospel is uncertain. And I will explain this in the next program.